Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we get to talk with the CEO of Mutual Capital Alliance in Dallas, Texas, Mr. Sean McGinnis. Oh my gosh, you guys. Sean has the coolest accent. He grew up in South Africa. So of course, I had to ask him about safaris, how to fight off monkeys, and what do you do if an elephant charges you? I should remind you that this man is the CEO of a large financial (laughs) services firm in Dallas. And yet, Steph is asking him about how to fight off monkeys and charging elephants. <laughs> yes, I did. And his stories were <laughs> freaking awesome. That's true. Sean also shared a great story about what it was like to have dinner with George W. Bush and shares a very heartwarming story about his best friend. You guys, we can't wait for hear this amazing conversation with Sean McGinnis. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. Steph. I want him to just talk. <laughs> I keep asking him, like, can you just talk to me? I don't care what you say. I just want you to talk to me. How awesome is that accent? Oh, I love it. Like, I should just be quiet and let the man talk. Like, or, it is really good. Or just be quiet and let <laughs> me, just, me and Sean talk. We can, we can do I'll just or. observe. I'll just watch this. <laughs> Well, friends, our next guest is a purpose-driven leader. He is a seasoned executive serving on multiple boards, including chairman of the Young Catholic Professionals Organization. He's also the CEO of a financial services firm, Mutual Capital Alliance in Dallas, Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Sean McGinnis. Oh, Sean! Good morning, Steph. Good morning, Kevin. What a pleasure being with you. And I'm a little bit uh, red-cheeked from those very nice comments, Steph. (laughs) Well, first off, Sean, thank you for saying yes to us. And listeners, we were introduced to Sean by our mutual friend, Bob Odin. Mm -hmm. And Sean, here's what I I already love about you. So this is episode 164 of Tell Us a Good Story. You are only the second guest that we've had who has asked to have a pre-interview with me ahead of time. Wow. So listeners, if you read between the lines, that means he is trying to vet me to make sure I'm not a weirdo (laughs) before we have this conversation. That is the nice way of doing this. The fact that he's with us, I'm glad you passed the test. I passed the test? Yeah, baby Jesus, he passed the test. Because it's hit or miss with Kevin. You never know. He got me on a good day. What weird is going to pop out with him. So that's good. I love it. So, now, Steph, you've noticed his accent. Yes. So, Sean lives in Dallas, Texas. Okay. But that is not a Texas it, So, it's accent. not a Texan drawl. No, it is not. So, Sean grew up in South Africa, uh-huh. which immediately leads us to a lot of questions, Sean. So many questions. So many questions. Like, what's it like to grow up in South Africa with safaris everywhere? Like, did you have <laughs> lions and elephants in your backyard as a kid? Like, what is it like growing up in South Africa? Well, you know, listen, it was an amazing experience from a couple of standpoints. One, just a blessed childhood. I was very, very fortunate to have amazing parents, amazing extended family. My mother had nine sisters. So my grandmother had 10 daughters. Oh, my gosh. 
big Catholic family. I was just and- going to ask if he was Catholic. I was like, are you Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my heritage is really quite mixed. When I, when I did my 23andMe DNA test, from a heritage standpoint, a combination of Irish, French, German, Dutch, and then a bunch of other things in between. South Africa was, is a land of, of immigrants with a really extraordinary history, a part of its history not so great because I grew up under apartheid. But people in South Africa, extraordinary. 12 official languages. It's an amazing place. We didn't have lions in our backyard, but we had vervet monkeys. I grew up on the East Coast, on the Indian Ocean. And literally, we had groups of monkeys that would visit us multiple times a day. They would really? drive our dogs crazy. Yes. And if you left your kitchen window open, they'd be in there in a heartbeat. They'd steal <laughs> bananas and fruit. And, and my mother was very diligent in trying to keep the monkeys out of her garden, off our roof. But then you had, which some of your listeners may appreciate, we had venomous snakes. You know, there was, it was one evening um, I heard this massive screaming coming from my mother's bathroom. And two green mambas, if you know anything about snakes, the green mamba is one of the most poisonous snakes on the planet. They had nested behind the toilet. Oh, no. So she was in the bath. I heard this blood-curdling scream, and the snake was sort of standing up, ready to strike. I go in. The only thing that I saw was my mother's antique towel rail. And I grabbed this portable towel rail and I smashed it over <laughs> the snake. Do you think my mother said thank you for saving me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, saved your life. Oh my. Well, one, goodness. she said, get the heck out of here. And <laughs> Close two, your eyes. She said, oh, you're going to have to replace that towel stand. And then I got a thank you, by the way. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. Okay. Yes. In South Africa, since monkeys are such an issue, are there like monkey traps? Oh, well, yeah, no, they do. You know, it is an issue. And uh, for a lot of farmers, for example, they go in, they they graze from place to place. Where I grew up on the coast, there wasn't a lot of trapping that went on, but there were annual culling exercises. They do the same, by the way, in a lot of the game reserves that are out there today. But these monkeys are as smart as anything. I mean, they know when you're out to get them. They disappear for a while. Uh, they come back. They have lookouts. There's a whole structure. I mean, here in the states, no one experiences not that monkeys. type of stuff. Like yeah. I was comparing it to like a raccoon, right? So, like with you, are you you always have to have air conditioning on because you can't have your windows much, up and fans. Pretty much, you can't leave a window open because they'll come in and they will trash your house. Oh they'll my god! Everywhere and they That's don't true. come one at a time. They come in twenties and thirties. Their whole fam- no. their whole family. Whole fan. Now the brave ones, the older ones, will come into the house. The little ones will stay outside and they'll just start tossing it out of the window. Oh yeah, these are very very clever. And in certain areas, like my sister lives on a gated area with a golf course on the ocean. The the monkeys will come and literally. While they're having lunch, they'll sit like right on the railing of their patio, five feet away, and without a fear in the world, they'll jump on a golf cart as you're driving along and what? kind of look at you. Oh, no yeah. fear. Well, wait, I have more questions. Oh, okay, go ahead. No, I'm still, I'm still going. Okay, so because you talked about gaming and the population, so are you a hunter? 
No, I don't hunt. I like to fish. I'm not anti-hunting. It's just not been a not been a passion of mine. I love water sports. I love sailing. I love anything to do with the ocean, uh, but not a big hunter. That answered my question because Sean, I was joking with Steph earlier. I'm like, Steph, if we ever go on a safari, I'm calling up Sean to say, okay, how do I survive if an elephant's attacking me or if a leopard's coming after me? Like he would know, right? I, I do know. And you would be in very good hands with my advice. So I, take me up on that. I know so many great safari operators and people that can help. I mean, I spend, I try and go back every year. COVID has been a little bit of a, a downer for us because we haven't been able to go back as often as we'd like in the last three years. But um, I committed to my parents when I left South Africa that I would go back every year. And oh, wow. for as long as they were alive, I did that. Both my parents, unfortunately, are deceased. But it was a commitment that I felt very strongly about. And they appreciated it. And, and I actually ended up in one of my businesses opening up an office in South Africa and employing about 40 people. So I was able to give back in some ways, mm. too, which I felt very happy about. Oh, that's awesome. Steph, he can live anywhere including places that have green mambas. See, he knows how to take care of them. He knows how to take care of them. Oh, okay. I I know you want to keep going on, but I have one more question because this yes. is just fascinating to hey, me. So you weren't kidding earlier when you said, hey, you and Sean are just going to talk. Pretty much. It's going to be you two. Okay, yes, go ahead. Yes. You're just along here. Thank you. Okay, so we live in Ohio. In yes. Ohio, we have lots of deer. So people will kill the deer, mount their heads, in South Africa, you have a lot of big game. So if you're yes. going over to like your friend's house, do they have like a leopard mounted in their house? Oh. Yeah, some do. I mean, taxidermy is very popular. You know, and now it's socially conscious, responsible, sustained hunting, which is great. And yes, they mount them. So I have seen some pretty incredible collections. Like what? Well, leopard, elephant feet um, mounted. Oh, my gosh. Um not, not, I've never seen an elephant head mounted, by mm -hmm. the way. But every antelope species, every buck species, um, some crocodiles, and they have big, nasty crocodiles in Africa. Really? Oh. Yeah. So, you know, you get the selection. I mean, it, it really just depends on where you are in the country, and you do see a lot of taxidermy. Sean, I think you're missing an opportunity here. I think in your office... <laughs> You should have an elephant trunk on the wall there instead of all your diplomas, your degrees, your awards. Like, I think you're really missing an opportunity here to impress clients. You know, I may actually impress some and not impress others. Um, you know where we're going with that, right? right. Yes. So, Sean, you said you, earlier that you love to fish. Any instances with crocodiles when you were fishing? No, no, I... I'm very, very wary of even putting a toe in a river uh, or a lagoon where there may be crocodiles. Although we did, my brother and I did water ski in a lagoon with a buddy of ours where we would come across these giant legabonds. Do you know what a legabon is? Uh -uh. No. It's like a giant monitor lizard. And they, no. they're they aquatic. They swim. But these are these are big. These are five, six feet long. <laughs> now, they're, they're only about, I would say, probably two or three feet in diameter. But... There were a couple of times water skiing where we would literally almost water ski over one of these things. Oh, my uh, gosh. And I'm sure there were crocodiles in this one particular lagoon that we water skied on. So we were very good at staying on the ski. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fall off. Although my brother, who'd be, who'd be fascinating for you to talk to, we, we were upriver, and the river went up through a series of farms 
So you were in the middle of nowhere and we, there was a bridge. We would water ski under this bridge, do a tight right-hand turn. You would sink down a little bit and then the boat would accelerate and then you would go back under the bridge. And one particular afternoon, I don't know why we did it, you know, teenagers, we left my brother after we went under the bridge and he was sinking down. We just threw the rope out and we left him there. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck to you. <laughs> He was not happy with us. We went back about 10 minutes later, but uh, we just had some fabulous experiences like that growing up, I must say. You brought, you're bringing back some great memories. Oh, oh that's awesome. Steph, what's most important to you when it comes to building a new home? Okay, I want a builder who's an expert in what they do, is going to be honest with me, and cares about even the smallest of details. Well, thankfully, we know just the builder. You know it. It's Jay and Connie Luby with Luby Companies. Friends, don't just take our word for it. Go check out their website at lubycompanies.com. That's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. So growing up, you had a very unique childhood from yes. going to boarding school and Ooh. then also just growing up with a, a best friend as well. Yes. Would you mind sharing that with Steph? Yeah, sure. You know, I was very fortunate, as I've said earlier. Um, my mom had a best friend growing up who she introduced to another friend of hers. This couple ended up getting married. Uh, they were married for over 55, 56 years. They had five boys. Their middle son and I were exactly the same age. We we're two months apart and we grew up inseparable. We grew up as best friends. They lived on a farm. We would spend vacations with them. And anyway, so picture, you know, a lifelong friend, like a brother, like a sibling. We, we would spend a lot of time together. In fact, we also went to boarding school together. And so having a best friend who was with you when you were six, 700 miles away from home and you only went home once a quarter or once every four or five months was pretty important. So the relationship was a very deep, very abiding relationship. And June of 2004, I was living in Dallas. It was early on a, sun, on a Monday morning, so two, three o'clock in the morning, and the telephone rang. You know, we had telephones back in those <laughs> right, days. In the house. <laughs> And my sister was on the phone, and I could hear in her voice that she was she was distraught. And being an immigrant and having family in South Africa, whenever the phone rang, what immediately goes through your mind is somebody's had an accident, somebody's there's been a problem, there's something. And so I had this terrible sort of dread, this you know, this fearful sort of pressure. And she said, Sean your best friend, Nick, has had an accident. He was a polo player. They had a polo field on their farm, not the sort of very luxurious uh, West Palm Beach or Prince Charles polo. This was real stuff. <laughs> and um, he had been playing on Sunday afternoon for his team. A horse had T-boned his horse. Oh, um, His horse had fallen on top of him, and he had severed his brain stem. Mm. They didn't have oxygen at the polo field, or they did, but it was the oxygen tank was empty. It took a couple of hours for a helicopter to come and pick him up. Anyway, long story short, he was in hospital. My sister called to, to let me know. I got out of bed. I packed a small bag, and I went immediately to DFW Airport, and I got on the first flight that I could to South Africa. It took me two days to get there just because of transfer. It's a long way. Right. couldn't get a direct flight. And um, I said to my wife, Maria, 
could you please make sure that my appointments on, on Monday and Tuesday, just let my team know. And one of the meetings was with a mentor of mine, a fellow by the name of Steve Durham, just an amazing human being. And I would have a monthly meeting with him. We're both in an organization called YPO, the Young Presidents. And he's a few years older than I am. And, and I looked up to him and we would have this monthly breakfast. So I'm on my way to South Africa. Maria calls Steve, says to Steve, Sean's best friend has had an accident. They don't know what the prognosis is. Describe just very minimal details to him just to give him context. Anyway, I arrived in South Africa, immediately called Maria, let her know that I'd arrived safely. I was in a taxi on my way to my best friend's house where his family were gathered. This was on the Wednesday. Now, from accident Sunday, this was Wednesday. And obviously, I was jet lagged. I hadn't slept. You can imagine having all of that time on a plane yeah. um, and sitting at Heathrow Airport to think about a lifetime of experiences and all the, you know, you can imagine the different things going through your mind. So I called Maria and Maria said to me, great that you've arrived. Can you quickly call Steve Durham? He's urgently wants to speak to you. He thinks he may be able to give you some perspective on, on the accident of, of Nicholas. And I was like, okay, I called Steve. Steve literally it took him no more than 20 seconds. He said, Sean, one of my best friends had a similar thing happen to him. I'm not making this up. You need to call a woman by the name of Margaret Valentine. Please call her. Margaret Valentine was this individual's executive assistant. So I called Margaret Valentine, still in the taxi, and she introduced herself. And she said, Sean, my boss, had a polo accident in West Palm Beach. He was in a coma for several months. He's doing well and he's fine. And if your friend's parents would like to talk to him, I think I could organize that for you. So park that. Okay. When I arrive at the house, it's about six, seven o'clock in the evening. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of just unhappiness, as you can imagine. And the family had just been talking to some of their advisors and it wasn't looking good. There was no brain activity. Uh, Nick was in an induced coma in intensive care. They had discovered that he had this brainstem injury and the prognosis was not good. So I said to them, let me share with you the strange call I had on the way from the airport. And she said, well, we've spent the last three days agonizing over this. No one can tell us. They want to take him off life support. You know, they need the hospital bed. Mm. And a call would be great. Here's where Bob Bodine would say this is a God moment. Not only was Margaret's boss open to talk to us, guess where he was? Not South Africa. No. no. Was he really? He was in Cape Town, South Africa at a YPO event, a Young President's Organization event for members. Him and his wife happened to, you know, have signed up for it. He was about to go and have dinner with Nelson Mandela. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And Bishop Tutu, the famous Anglican Archbishop. So I get everybody around the speakerphone. And the first thing he does just asks questions about Nick. Tell me about your son, your brother. Tell me about what kind of a guy he is. And anyway, there was this long call. Then they had questions for him. And he shared his experience about how he had the accident, how he was in a coma, how his wife refused to let them dictate how long it would take for him to recover. So he just shared his experience. 
And he said, listen, you just don't, nobody knows how the human brain is going to recover. Your son may come out of a coma and live like I have, a 90% really fulfilled life. And he said, it could be, you could lose your son and I'm, I'd be really sorry and I'd, I'd be desperately sad for you. Nobody knows. And he said, if there's one thing that I could ask you to do is just convince the doctors to give him time. Just give him time. So that was on the Wednesday. They were very appreciative, the family. This is a complete stranger. I'd never met this person before. The only thing we had in common was our friend, Steve Durham. We did have this YPO connection. And, and by the way, he was two hours late for his dinner. Oh, my gosh. Aww. With Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Just think about that for a complete stranger. So here's, let me fast forward and then we'll get to the lessons. So there was brain activity on the weekend, came out of his coma a week later. Now, Nicholas was a quadriplegic. So his, you know, eventual outcome was not great, but Nick could communicate. He saw his two beautiful daughters grow up. He started a foundation with another friend of his uh, for brain injury research and to help with funding various brain things. Nick lived for 12 years and he passed in December of 2016. Mm. You know, just a week before his 52nd birthday, but I would see him every year and I'd go the first the first person I'd go and see was Nick, give him a big hug. He was in his wheelchair, always had a smile on his face. He needed 24-7 care. But, you know, he never, he, he'd say to me, I'm just happy to be alive. And even though some people may think about that and think how desperately cruel it was and how difficult, the people that he touched and the impact that he had, certainly on my life, he had already had a huge impact because we were best friends. But it elevated my regard, my understanding, my own personal uh, realization of how fleetingly short life is and how important it is to have relationships and to be humble and to recognize that we all, every single one of us will face an issue and maybe several in our lives that we go, how do we deal with this? How do we overcome it? So I had the opportunity when I got back to Dallas, I spent a whole month there and I got the opportunity to meet Norman Brinker. Do you know Chili's, the restaurant yes. chain? Yeah. He founded Chili's and Steak oh. and Ale. Oh, my gosh. So Norman Brinker was the individual who took time out in his evening, his executive assistant, Margaret. He was the most incredible human being. If you, if you go and Google Norman Brinker and you see what an impact he had on his staff, on his team, on his family, he was an extraordinary giver. Subsequently, I, I met him several times. But I ended up attending Norman's funeral when he died, and Ross Perot Jr. gave the eulogy. It was at the Philharmonic locations here in Dallas, standing room only. I have never seen somebody, when Ross Perot Jr. gave three cheers for Norman Brinker from the stage, very British thing, you know, hip, hip, hooray, hip. There was 2,000 people standing, screaming at the top of their lungs, hip, hip, hooray. Really? I've never witnessed anything like it. Now, Steve was in a small mastermind group with Norman. When Norman died, a spot opened up in this group of people that had been together for 45 years. Guess who got that spot? You did. Yes. You cannot make this up. 
So think about the hand of providence, the hand of God to help you. It does require you to be open to it, mm -hmm. to open yourself and move into it. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. All right, Sean. So for all of our guests, I like to give a list of fun facts so listeners know what you've done, what you've accomplished, and Steph is not aware of any of these. Okay? okay. So you're going to see her genuine reaction to all of these fun facts about you, sir. Okay? <laughs> now, this first one is mind-blowing. Okay? At least to me. So if it's not to you, act like it's important. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I just found this fun fact out about you yesterday. My boss, Ashley Engel has a business mentor by the name of Rick Sapio. Who is Rick Sapio, Sean? Rick Sapio's a 26-year friend. He's just a remarkable guy. We're in business together. We partner in a number of different areas. He, he was the founder of Mutual Capital Alliance. He's a fellow Catholic, four beautiful children. By the way, he only speaks Italian to his kids. So if you ever interview Rick, Fun fact about him, he only speaks Italian to his children. His oh, wife wow. doesn't speak Italian, and his kids <laughs> speak good Italian. <laughs> They're talking about mom the whole time. So, so here's the story. My boss is in Dallas, Texas. Okay, so Sean, I'm the COO of a public accounting firm that's based, wow. in, that's based in Dallas. Okay, so I'm a CPA and have my MBA. And yesterday, I'm doing my daily one-on-one -on -one with her at the end of the day, Sean. And I no. said, hey, Steph and I are talking to someone uh, tomorrow's in Dallas, Texas, I think he would be someone good to introduce you to. And she's like, what's his name? Who is he? So I share my screen, Sean, and I show your LinkedIn profile. Now, Sean here is the CEO of Mutual Capital Alliance. Uh -huh. The founder of Mutual Capital Alliance is Rick, <laughs> Ashley's mentor. So basically, my boss's mentor is Sean's boss. That's funny. Well, actually, I'm his boss. Let's be real clear on that one, Kevin. <laughs> I should have said, oh, Ashley, well, guess what? My mentor is Sean McGinnis. You should know that name. Boom. <laughs> so That is a small world. You can't make this up, really. I know. Right? Mm -mm. Yes. All right. So fun fact number two. Sean's website states that he interviewed former President George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Sean, do you have any good stories from that interaction with him? Like, are you Facebook friends now? Are you going to rodeos together? Like, <laughs> no, I wish. I wish I was. What an what an inspiring and and my wife and I sat with him for dinner, and then I, I ended up after dinner interviewing him here in Dallas. And we just had the most incredible experience. My wife is an avid reader, and President Bush at that stage, was in a competition with Karl Rove, and they were reading a book a week. Oh, wow. And I think he won the competition, if memory serves me correctly, and I stand to be corrected. But he would read a very eclectic books. And I happen to be a big fan of the girl with the dragon tattoo. I don't know if you oh, yes. remember. Yes. 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 He loved that series. Really? And, and spent like 10 minutes 
Like he get he got first editions. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. <laughs> so you know, he was relaxed. You know, he was just out of his presidency. In fact, on the on the wall here in my office, and if I um, and I'll move my camera. Okay. Can you see Aww. that? Yes. So that's yes. a picture of him and I at dinner, and then us on stage. But what's most important about it is there's a handwritten note that accompanies those two photographs. And it's the most beautiful handwritten note. It says, it was a pleasure to have met you and Maria last night. You did a fine job of of our moderator. Your questions were excellent and your manner very warm. Thank you for inviting me with very best wishes, George Bush. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Somebody like that takes their time yes. to write you. I mean, I don't care what people say. I'm a diehard President Bush fan and, and of his father's too, by the way. Well, and I love it that he could have sent you an email, but it was a handwritten note. Right. Who does that anymore? Handwritten note. Very thoughtful. That's, that's authentic leadership. That's somebody that takes the time. And I guarantee you there's probably thousands of people that he's written to because if he's writing to me, he's writing to other people. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, Steph, next fun fact. In 1990, at the age of 25, Sean moved to Canada and started a company in a foreign country to him. Nobody in his family had left South Africa. He had no contacts overseas. So the question is, why did you choose Canada? Because if it were me, I mean, Canadians are very nice, and I know they've got Niagara Falls and stuff, (laughs) but that would not be on my top 50 list. Of places to move if I have no context there. Unless oh, you're putting me on the spot now. Is this related to a girl? Like, how do you move to Canada? No, unfortunately, what is related to a girl is me leaving Canada and moving to Dallas in 1999. I, I, I met my wife, Maria. But no, I, I had fallen in love with the United States, to be completely candid and honest. I had, had the privilege of visiting the U.S. in 1981. My dad was working in California for a a Swiss company, office furniture manufacturing business. And we went, my brother, sister, and I flew out uh, to spend a Christmas vacation. Ronald Reagan was president. And growing up in South Africa, every movie, TV, it was all censored. You know, we were living under one party rule. So imagine these three young kids never been, you know, uh, out of the country Suddenly, we're in the United States, we're in Los Angeles, and there's this whole new world. There's 75 channels on TV. There were these, I mean, it was just, your mind was just... I bet. People of different religions and different racial groups were interacting and neighbors. And I mean, it was it literally was a mind-blowing experience. So I always had a desire to come to the United States. But when I decided to emigrate from South Africa, it was very difficult to come in unless you had... You were a doctor or you're an accountant and an attorney, and I couldn't get in. But Canada had a very aggressive program to bring young, educated people into Canada, um, and I took advantage of that, and I loved it, and I would will be forever grateful to Canada and the, and the people. Canadians are amazing, amazing people, by the way. That was 24 years ago. I'm just, again, I've been blessed with so many so many great things and opportunities. I mean, and I don't know how many people actually appreciate this. I wear an immigrant lens. I feel that I've won the lottery, the mega or the Powerball. 
Because you're in a country that is open, that enables you to start a business, that enables you to be treated very well, that has a great legal system. And the problems we have are nothing in comparison to the vast majority of countries in the world. And yes. I'm just so grateful. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about Forget it. about us. Yeah. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Well, final fun fact here, Steph. As I previously mentioned, Sean is the CEO of Mutual Capital Alliance, which is a private firm in the financial services industry. He's involved with a service called Exit Concierge. Sean, can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so the Exit Concierge is a concept that Rick Sapio, who you mentioned earlier, came up with as a result of having been involved in 100 transactions of, of selling companies, buying companies, investing in companies. I had had the good fortune of, of having several exits myself and being exposed to the investment banking world. And so the idea was, instead of being an investment banker, where you're responsible for finding the buyer pool and coming up with marketing materials, the biggest challenge the owner of a private mid-market company has, particularly if this is the first time they're selling their business, they've spent a lifetime building it up, all their assets and net worth are tied into the business. There wasn't really a service that could represent them as the seller, as the owner founders of the business and manage on their behalf the entire exit process. It's a very complicated, nuanced process. It can be very emotional. When you decide to sell a business, how do you value the business? So what we do in the exit concierge is we really embed ourselves on the team of the seller. We go and find the investment bank. We hire the attorneys that work on the M&A transaction. We hire the accountants. We manage that entire vendor team. And as a result of that, we have a high degree of deal certainty. There's research out there that says 80% of companies that come to market for sale don't sell, or they sell at less than a fraction of their expected value. That's not a good statistic when you're thinking about selling your business and it's your life work. So Rick runs that aspect of the business. He runs a very tight process. And also, by the way, I don't want to forget this. Part of the sale process is post-sale. Are you prepared to safeguard your money, have a second or a third act? So it's not only the process of selling. It's post-sale. Have you helped them really settle into what their next chapter in their life is going to be? So it's very rewarding to see that. Well, Steph, I know that does impact you. As a, as a registered nurse, but that obviously would impact me. Mm-hmm. And so I can really just have my boss give Sean a call, right? <laughs> give us and a call. Just we'll give you a call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, listeners, for more information about Sean McGinnis, you can go to seanmcginnis.com or his company at mutualcapitalalliance.com. Or I would highly recommend you visit his profile on LinkedIn as well. And we will put all of these links in our show notes, listeners. So you can just click on it and go right to these websites. Well, Sean, 
Fantastic, sir. Thank you for approving this conversation, vetting me so we could have this conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you guys. You know, it's a, it's just a blessing for me that this is going to get out there. And what you guys do, I can't thank you enough. And obviously, Bob, because, you know, your good stories, I mean, that's how people learn and that's how we grow. So thank you for what you guys do. Oh, thank you. Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.